Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Radical Humanity. My name is Ben Hoover, and I also do marriage and family therapy work as the main gig as of now. And um, yeah, welcome to my podcast show. Um, and I, where really I just kind of unravel, unravel ideas for myself. I'm really just talking to myself um, and talking these things out, and I love it. I, I, it's, it's. I think I've shared this before, but I get, I get excited. Um, I get a little, little kind of anxious knot in my stomach because I think, man, am I going to be able to parse this out? Can I really flesh this out? But, um, but underneath that, I really, um, there's an excitement of, ooh, I wonder, wonder what's going to come out of this. I wonder what I'm going to discover. As I t- as I talk this out, um, I was uh, I got up. Well, I woke up early, like five thirty this morning, and probably even a little earlier than that. And I couldn't go back to sleep because I had a lot of just a lot of activity in myself going on. And so I went for a walk. I thought uh, I I thought I laid in bed for a while, and then I I went for a walk, and I thought, oh, man, it's it's there's it's cloudy out, it's dark. I gotta go. I gotta go just experience it. And there's this creek by my house, and I, this this they call it a green belt. And I went for a walk, and I, I went to this certain part where there's there's been this erosion that's happened, and they've tarped it and put sandbags to keep it from eroding even further because it's there's a stream that also goes by, and uh, and then when the rain the rainy season hits, like this season, um, or the season that I'm in, it uh uh. It'll flood, and then it'll, of course, start to wash away more of the um, more of the shoreline or the 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 streamline path that is. And so, uh, but anyway, so I'm standing there looking at this at this erosion, and I see this movement out of the corner of my eye uh, to the left of me, and I look over, and it's this skunk, and this skunk is just moving towards me, like. Not not close yet, but I mean he's you know he he's uh, in my line of flight there, or at least I'm in his, standing in his way. So I'm like, dude, this guy is not moving. So I ended up uh, I ended up running, you know, because I could probably hopefully outbeat a skunk. I've never ran uh, from a skunk before, or uh, or together with a skunk at all, and I don't plan on doing that. And so anyway, so I, I ran. I ran away from the skunk and I would look and it just kept running and it was running. And again, it wasn't like a super close distance, but it, you know, it it was, it was maybe if I had slowed down, it would have gained on me. And, um, and so I just keep running because I, and I'm wondering, why is this guy not noticing me? And so I stop at some point just to see where, where is this, where is this thing going? And it just keeps running, and and I, I notice, I'm like, is it gonna, does it even notice me? So I end up clearing my throat, and it stops, just this jarring halt, and the tail goes up. And um, it was like one of those moments for for him where he's like, oh shit, <laughs> and then he went and he was trying to find a a way through the fences into other people's properties. And I realized in that moment, he didn't even notice I was there. This guy was so deep in thought. I mean, he was, he was, uh, man, he was on a mission. 
I don't know if he had like some, he was going to go see family or whatever it was, but this guy was, he was in the trenches of his mind thinking about something. And I, you know, and I threw that off. But um, anyway, it was kind of a fun little experience this morning. So um, now back to my, uh, the topic of this episode. Now, just to reiterate, this is the second part of this eight-part series that I'm doing on this uh, whole Beatitudes uh, um, sort of benediction creed that Jesus talks about in the ancient writings. And it's, it's, uh, it's fascinated me for a long time. And then when I went to a cabin last March, I started to write this for myself and, and just explore it. Um, because you can look at the words and it has the, you know, there's the, the, the meaning of the words, but then when you kind of piece it together and you sort of piece it together based off your own experience, it starts to, it starts to make sense. Um, because it's not just reading a statement. It's, it's once you start to kind of go through this, this, uh, these experiences in life, these words take on another form and shape and they illuminate something, and like, ah, oh, yes, maybe that's what that means. Now, when I'm talking about this stuff, I'm not saying that I, I clearly know that this is it, but it certainly um, makes sense to me in the way that I've understood these phrasings that Jesus talks about. <clears throat> so, um, so anyway, so this is the second part of uh, 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 the second kind of unraveling the second statement that he makes. Now, um, as I'm going to clarify or, or uh, give a preamble to in each, in each part, uh, ep- in each episodic, episodic uh, part there, I, uh, I, I will uh, advise people to go back to the, to the previous one. So you want to start from the beginning in this whole series because, it, it, because I build off of it. Um, I, I expand from the first part, uh, or from the previous episode. Um, where was I going with that? <laughs> anyway, it's a continuation. So, uh, so because these statements, I believe, are actually um, they're they're subsequent experiences that follow one another. <clears throat> so I'm building off of the previous episodes. So go and listen to that. I hope that made sense. It didn't even make sense to me. But anyway, I, um, so, so this is, uh, this is the next, the, the, the next, the following statement that Jesus makes. <clears throat> now, just to give, uh, a little bit of a refresher from the, uh, from the previous episode, the, the first statement that Jesus makes is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the, for theirs is the kingdom. <clears throat> Right. And so I go into what that poor in spirit means to me. <clears throat> now, just to, I was thinking, how am I going to distill this? Because it was, it was an hour and a half long episode where I'm talking this out. <clears throat> but basically, poor in spirit, uh, what, how, the way I see it is that it's this, um, it's this experience that we have, this sort of existential crisis or experience where we enter into or realize uh, wake up to the reality, I guess I should say, that we're impoverished internally. And what I mean by that is that, is that we've extracted the external world. We've, we've 
magnified and glorified objects, even, and what I mean by that is even humans or titles or, you know, lovers, relationships, leaders in the world, things like that, um, that we've, we've objectified them and we've imbued them with these sort of magical uh, qualities that, that, that we believe are going to cure whatever, whatever lack, this lack that we feel inside, this loneliness, this, this hunger <clears throat> that we start looking to the external world to, uh, to mend that, to fill in those gaps. So then what happens is we, it, it starts naturally occurring, and I'm talking from a personal experience, but it starts naturally occurring where this, this movement happens in our consciousness. We start waking up. We start, <clears throat> this reality starts to, um, saturate everything. And we start to realize, <clears throat> we start to question the, all the meaning we've placed into something. What is it doing for me? You know, and, and, it, and it is a moment of crisis because what we've invested in so much, what we've strenuously put through our whole selves into, what we've orbited around begins to lose its power, its luster, its impact, its effect, and then it's taken over, engulfed by this, what I like to say, this meaninglessness, <clears throat> that we call into question the, um, the values that we've put in this, the, um, uh, the, uh, the, again, the, the meaning, the significance that we've uh, infused into this, that it would help us cure something inside of ourselves as if that needs curing. And that the whole point is actually to, uh, to go into this lack. And why I say lack, and it's, it's actually, it's a great phrase, Peter Rollins, um, who I really enjoy and um, appreciate and respect. I read his books and listen to his uh, podcast episodes and some of his videos and teachings he does, but he talks about this lack. But I go into more, I um, clarify this lack as it's something that begins really young in us. Actually, he says that too. But it's also something that um, this lack comes from this loss when we separate in a natural way. We separate from our parents. And, um, you know, when we're, I don't know, we, we start to develop consciousness at a young age before one or between one and two, and we start to see that there's an external world outside of our nurturing source, right? Out of the person that we've been in union with. Now we start to separate and <clears throat> see that there's an external world, and then we start to, this, this, uh, this automatic change starts happening in us where we then start to venture outside, but then we return to our parents, our, our mother, um, you know, for that safety, that trust, and then we go back out in the world and go explore, right? Because we're exploring for ourselves to discover not just the world, but also our own selves and develop that internal security and strength and guide and compass. But if that doesn't happen, right? So, so this lack or this loss happens that we feel like we had something um, and then we... And and because once we start waking up, we think, man, I you know, there's this impulse, this pull to also go back to the source that we feel like we've you know, we've lost something um, that we've actually never really had. Um, I mean, it was an experience of oneness, of union, of getting everything nourished and fed and cared for, and then but once consciousness starts to hit us, we start to move away. 
um, we start to pull away and drift and explore and forage elsewhere than, than from, from our moms. Um, but we encounter this loss, and so that's why there's this continual uh, tension of returning and, and then going back out in the world and then returning, going back out. And, um, and that it's a parent's important role to help the child learn who they are and to support that. But when that doesn't happen, it throws everything off, and then we grow up feeling this lack, feeling this, um, this hole inside, feeling uh, this, this loss. There's a grief deep down in us that something's, something was missing, right? And, there's, you know, and it incorporates hurt, pain, agony, um, isolation, loneliness, things like that, <clears throat> that... Um, we're missing, you know, that the indicate missing connections going up. And so what I mean, when I talk about the lack, I talk about there's this feeling of disconnect that lives deep in our soul. Um, and, uh, and it's created by our, uh, our external experiences with our parents that then become internalized. <clears throat> and then, uh, and then we start looking in the world to try to, f- uh, f- feed this connection, feel a sense of connection in ourselves. And we, we do that um, extracting it from others, consuming it from objects, things like that to, uh, to feel that. So, um, <clears throat> so we end up reliving these uh, childhood experiences and we, we also end up seeking out similar experiences or things that represent that to try and nurture uh, what wasn't there. So all that to say is then we end up encountering this that was a long preamble on this, but, but so we end up experiencing this loss. Meaningless takes over, and we start to question things, and, um, and there's this fear, this panic, this, like, this gap gets exposed in us. This, all of a sudden, there's the best way to describe it, because I've had this experience where all of a sudden like, we're, we're ravaged by this experience and this thought of, oh my God, like, what is this even meant what does this even mean? Like, I've put so much into this. <clears throat> and it really shatters that system of, that belief system and, and, and lifestyle that's brought, for a while, comfort, security. Um, for instance, I remember, <clears throat> uh, this is back when I was interning. I had this moment <clears throat> where I began to wake up to the reality that I've lived in depression for a long time. And by depression, I mean in the state of helplessness. And out of that state of helplessness, I would uh, extract care and nurture that I used, that I would get for, you know, I, I would, um, in a survival way, in a, in a sharp survival, um, kind of a very intelligent way, I would use that as a kid to extract love from my mom. <clears throat> but then I would also use that then to extract love from others, particularly, well, mostly actually women. <clears throat> but then I had this moment of, oh my God, I've been living this way for so long. And I remember uh, breaking, well, I don't know if I broke down, but I got emotional talking to uh, this uh, group of people that I was going through my intern hours with to become licensed. <clears throat> and I told them, I don't even know who I am anymore. <clears throat> and so that's what I mean by this. Is, and it's this crisis of self. It's this crisis of belief. It's this crisis of, of, um, of, of our lifestyle, of, of what we've attached to. And so, <clears throat> and so when someone becomes poor in spirit, they're, 
they're realizing that I have nothing. I have nothing. Not that I, I am nothing. It's just I don't have anything. Like everything I've gained, everything I've uh, consumed myself with to feel a sense of something, I, I don't have anything. And so this is the, the prerequisite. And so this loss is, um, is actually really, really vital. It's essential. It's a loss that really is actually a freedom, an unshackling of everything we've attached to and that we've held on to and we've gripped tightly and we've fought to protect, to feel a sense of safety, uh, a certainty, um, specialness, uh, satisfaction, so on and so forth. <clears throat> but we have to actually go in the... the Here's the paradox is we have to go into the lack, experience the lack, experience the, the whole, experience the loneliness, experience all that um, for change to happen as well. So anyway, so that leads me then to this next statement that um, Jesus then says, blessed are those who mourn. Now, remember the blessed, when we're talking about the blessed statements, this is, this this, uh, this seems contradictory, it seems paradoxical that like how is one who becomes poor? in themselves, right? Impover- an impoverished uh, a, a soul uh, way. How is that a blessing? How is, how is it a blessing that those that grieve, that mourn? But, it, but this blessing is, is talking about there's this, there's, this is where the richness actually happens, that, that those that are experiencing this, that are on this path, this is the way to something more satisfying, fulfilling, um, uh, uh, where aliveness happens, <clears throat> where pleasure, enjoyment, true connection happens. So, um, so it's a, it's almost um, it's a validation. Blessed are you who mourn, right? Because you're gonna be you you will be comforted. So this blessing statement is actually it's encouragement, and um, so. So then that leads me into this whole mourning thing. There's this two-part, right? Mourning and then comfort and blessing. And how does that all line up? So when we think of mourning, when I've thought of mourning, you know, we easily go to, and, and I'm using mourning and grieving synonymously. So when we talk about mourning, you know, or, or grieving, it communicates a loss, right? I mean, think about it. When we feel this deep sadness and, and everything that comes with the, every other sort of reaction that comes with grieving, um, it's all tied to loss. And often what's, what's more commonly associated with grieving is when we lose someone. When we lose, or it could be an animal that we've attached to or whatnot, but, um, but particularly with, with a person, is we usually associate that with a physical death. But that person is no longer present on this earth. This person that meant something to us uh, is, is, is gone, and we can't get him back. And this loss, um, the pain of this loss hits us on such a deep core level, such a visceral level. And, uh, and, and when we encounter that loss, we do sometimes crazy wild things to try to not feel that loss anymore, to reconnect with what is now we experience this real painful disconnection from. So we experience the physical death of someone, but we also can experience uh, the death of someone who's still alive. And that means that sometimes there's a parting of ways with a friendship um, or a family member or a lover, uh, that there's this disillusion 
disillusion that happens in a relationship with someone alive, with whom we've, uh, we've shared impact with, that we've, uh, we've, uh, um, we've made a mark on one another. That when that ends, when that dissolves, when that goes away, there's, a, there's incredible pain with that. As I've shared before, went through a breakup um, uh, you know, last year with someone that I fell deeply in love with. I mean, deeply. And God, you know, for that to end, it is, it's an awful pain. And it's a grief that doesn't, I know won't entirely go away. Because she's, you know, she's had a great impact on me, right? And, um, and I, I, I had greatly attached to her. And so, and so this, this grief is awful. Because in times, there's moments where I just want to reconnect. I just want to reach out. I just want to, I'm wondering, you know, what's she doing? Does she think about me? Does this happen to, you know, there's this pain and agony of someone leaving and me leaving her and going on and moving on with life and there's this um sometimes this urgency to stop that to to uh prevent that from happening to reverse that and so when we go through grief this deep visceral grief in ourselves it is so brutal there's nothing pleasant about it and i have an episode where i talk about grief so anyway, so we become consumed by these storms. We sob, we weep, we rage. Uh, we find ourselves paralyzed sometimes by numbness. We can't get out of bed. There's this depression, the anxiety, questioning, doubting. We revisit moments now in hindsight of, oh, if I could have only done that or that, right? Or, the, or and, uh, you know, this desire for memories to be lived differently. So it's, you know... Grief is this unrefined experience of loss. It's ugly. <clears throat> and it's and as I said, it's not just a physical death, but it's also uh, the loss of someone present, the changing, the parting of ways, the, the, the ending of a relationship. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> but there's also mourning and grieving. Sometimes like, we can't quite pinpoint what that is, why that's there. It feels bigger. It's, it's you know, it's, I know... The losing someone kind of monopolizes the market of grief. But there's also sometimes grief that, there's grief that covers a whole wide range of experiences in life. And sometimes we feel a deep grief that eludes immediate understanding. Sometimes it's, there's, a, there's a mourning that's deeper, it's existential, that we might realize. So when Jesus talks about this mourning, there's, there's this, it indicates that there's some kind of loss, right? And we talk about, if we go back to the poor in spirit, we start to encounter this loss of the sacred object, the meaning we've put behind this object that's going to cure everything. It's going to cure this gap we feel inside of ourselves. And we begin to wake up to the reality that this isn't going to do it. It's not. And so then he accompanies this with blessed are those who mourn, for then comfort will happen. <clears throat> so this is what's intriguing, because how does this all fit together? What are we mourning exactly? Where is this grief coming from? Right. So 
the magic of this object that we've clung to, which is, my phrasing is just, it becomes a surrogate parent, an attachment object to, to you know, satisfy what feels so lost in us. And the magic is dissipated and we feel this, this deep, guttural, visceral pit inside as we face this reality. You know, in our, in our hunger, this cavernous craving to feel meaningful and special and seen and known and satisfied and whole and safe. And, you know, we've looked to everything and anything to fill our souls up. But then we enter in this state of poverty inside, internally, that this isn't going to do it. This won't satisfy. And then we embrace this terrifying and yet... What we don't realize in the moment is this freeing state of meaninglessness in regards to the impotency, impotency of the sacred object. And then Jesus talks about the mourning. Well, so this is a reaction to this loss, right? If this loss <clears throat> that indicates that, that if we think about if we think about the pain of losing someone, that means that we've attached to them. That means that they've had impact on us. So that means that there's some... Uh, there's there's significance there <clears throat> that this person's had. And sometimes it, it's not even necessarily going to be that um, with someone that we've been close to. It could be some celebrity. You know, when, when someone dies, like for instance, you know, when Robin Williams, I don't know why he came into my head. I think I saw some post about him. <clears throat> when he died, you know, the you know, or, or some, some leader in the world that's been so respected or loved or appreciated when they die, there's, a, there's this, <clears throat> this wave of grief that washes over, sometimes on a, on a national, nationwide level, on a global level, that this person somehow has had an imprint in us. <clears throat> and so, so for me, my idea is we can't, actually experience loss, really, unless we've had an attachment to something. <clears throat> In some ways, it's, this person has felt love and care. They've thought about the person. They've thought about them. They've given themselves to them in some way. They've experienced affection from them and have returned that and so on. So this loss indicates that, um, that this, this person we've attached to we've now detached from, <clears throat> or this object. <clears throat> and so if we then replace that with not just a person, but some object, it could be a person, it could be a leader, it could be a religion, it could be the church, it could be, um, uh, I think I said lover, it could be food, it could be drugs, it could be whatever it is. <clears throat> then when we're, we no longer have it, right, when we think we've had it, we think we've been in possession of it, when, we, when it's gone from us, all this pain rushes in. <clears throat> this pain uh, that comes from this gap inside of us, that something that once we thought filled it is no longer there. I remember when I worked at a, um, <clears throat> a drug and alcohol group home, and, um, and these boys would come in, and they'd come in from all kind of backgrounds, but um, often gang backgrounds, but also sometimes it wasn't just gang. It was often they would come in because they were um, uh, 
problems were arising out of their usage of substances. <clears throat> but I remember this one kid, and I really, I really loved this guy and connected with him. I remember he came back from, uh, he was visiting, I think, his family, and he came back. And I was, I was informed by the therapist that he's having a hard time, and then, so I ended up talking with him. And he told me about <clears throat> how much he missed heroin. But what was, what was such a, how do I say, it was like a game changer for me. It was a, uh, there was this awakening in me. Um, this, this switch turned on, this light bulb turned on when I heard him talk about heroin as if it was a lover, he would use pronouns like she, I miss her. And I don't even think he was conscious of it. It was just, it was something that was so innate in him in this relationship with heroin that I, I, it changed the way I saw, um, so much in that moment changed the way I saw the people use substances. That it's a that is it's an attachment relationship. It's a connected relationship. <clears throat> and he used these pronouns and he talked about it as if he lost a lover or someone he was in love with or someone he experienced love with. <clears throat> and that's what I'm talking about. Is that these things that we're uh, that we've gravitated towards that we've frantically sought after, um, fastidiously held on to and searched after and, and try to accumulate and grip and hold on to, to feel something inside our lovers, our attachment figures. <clears throat> and that once meaninglessness cracks through this system that we've created, the, the, the reality of this impotency that we've been covering over grief and pain in ourselves and loss and loneliness for a long time, that then this mourning sets in, this grieving sets in, and it's so deep. And so what happens is once that opens up, we encounter something that's been haunting us the whole time in ourselves, this loneliness, this ominous feeling that I think is at the core of our overriding hunger to consume, right? We're terrified of this feeling, and 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 it, it you know, <clears throat> and this happens in various ways. Don't you know? Don't think that just because someone you know we don't have this sort of consumptive, addictive personality, so to speak. Um, I don't like that phrasing, but it doesn't mean that in some ways we haven't orbited around something. We haven't. Um, uh, devote ourselves to something um, <clears throat> to uh, to feel safe, to feel contained, to feel okay with ourselves, to feel a sense of peace inside that we whatever it is, we all fall prey to that in some shape or form unless we have some good enough parenting that teaches us to uh, you know teaches us how to connect to ourselves in a in a connected environment. <clears throat> so, you know, so we develop this uh, this impulse, this tendency to find a cure for this ache of loneliness, of lo- of this lack inside. <clears throat> and so, the thing is, is that we keep running away from this loneliness, this lack. But this loneliness is meant to be. It's there for a reason. It it can't. It doesn't have a cure. Not in the way that we think. It, it, it doesn't lie in these desperate attempts to satisfy it. 
but actually in listening to it, waking up to it. Because within loneliness is this message that this was created from a source. And I keep looking to every source and even the source now that I'm older to try to fulfill it. So we're engulfed in the throes of loss over all this, over what we've attached to. And the scary experience then, it's, it's terrifying. It's a terrifying experience to have these delusions shattered, these illusions fractured. And the core of us now is starved, and we attach so easily to objects, others. We create rituals, we manufacture a religion to feel satisfied and generate a sense of wholeness and security. It's not it's not good or bad or right or wrong. It's just, it's what we do. <clears throat> we want to feel held. And so we convince ourselves that this, this is the remedy. This is the path. But Jesus seems to be rupturing this, explaining that satisfaction isn't found on this path. So in order to change course, we have to kind of, you know, wake up, see, hear, listen to ourselves and seeing the reality of these worlds and systems we've created, fueled by desperation. And then on an individual level, on a global level, on a national level, we've created these. <clears throat> fueled by desperation, great efforts to veil our lack, our uncertainty, our vulnerability, our loneliness. <clears throat> and so this mourning process is one that undoes the bonds to the impotent objects, or the idealizations, or the fantasies, and draws us into these underlying feelings and states that have lived here all along, that we've unconsciously covered over, but have, have been residing in the shadows in ourselves. And so within this place, we encounter these pains that have long lived in us, the relational wounds that have left us hungry to feel a connection that I think was missing in our formative years. <clears throat> so we face this disillusionment over the energy spent finding substitutes, to repair this disconnection. And so this grief, this unbearable sadness, it's a prerequisite to a new way of being, to finding us. And we can't skip over this part. I know, I know sometimes we'd love to, but we can't. It's unavoidable. I mean, people can try and they can, you know, keep, you know, put, trying to put, you know, uh, hammer nails and boards and strap it down <clears throat> from, from uh, opening up. But it's really unavoidable. We have to go through this existential loss, this crisis within ourselves to move us towards true meaning. Now, I also had this thought that sometimes we might get stuck. We might avoid the invitation or we get stuck in the despair, in the hopelessness, in the meaninglessness, and we, we get paralyzed by it. Because this, again, this is a stage. This is a movement towards something real, <clears throat> alive, genuine, connected. But sometimes we'll get stuck because it feels so overwhelming. I've heard that with clients. It's like, if I touch this, I'm so, I don't know how to get out of it. I'm so worried of being engulfed by it. It's like, yes, I know. I know. But part of it is not doing it alone. Part of it is still having connections as you go through this, right? Not that anyone can take it away, but sometimes it helps to go into it with somebody else, for them to just hear the pain, for, for them to direct us to it. That's, we, we need that. But we also have to experience the loneliness, in the, even if it's in the context of being with someone else, if that makes sense. But we, sometimes we'll get stuck in that meaninglessness. 
And it's not pleasant, right? And it creates this urgency, this anxiety, this restlessness. I got to get out of this, you know. But but sometimes sometimes we struggle and we fall prey to just the overwhelming experience of hopelessness. And so so sometimes people will then say they'll get they'll get so lodged in this that that's how they then view the world. That this means nothing. It doesn't matter. It's nihilistic. It just it, it's not real. It doesn't matter, right? Um, or they they get they tend to go in this. They'll get stuck in the the stage of atheism. And I love how Pierre Rollins talks about. It, but but atheism is a stage, by the way, because it's a loss of God as this object, this objectified other that like is going to save and cure everything. And we have to lose that to find something more grounded and real. And so we'll get stuck in these places and it won't move beyond that. And I love how Peter Rollins says, you're not atheist enough. <laughs> Meaning you've got to go into fully the loss of all of this to find something, to, 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 to move beyond that to something more rich and, and, and deep and grounded and connected. <clears throat> so, um, so all that to say is, and I, I get it, because I when I go into those, when I've been in those places of meaninglessness and despair, and, you know, I, I get this panic, I've got to get out of there, I can't, and then I get, I get pulled right back into it, because I have to go through this. I have to experience this loss for what it is. <clears throat> Even though sometimes I'm convinced to find a remedy, there's moments, well, that, oh, that was it. I didn't talk about it in the last episode. There was a moment, referring back to this cabin experience, where I... Um, I, I, I was hit. I was just talking with clients about this. I was I was hit immediately with this loneliness. Oh my God! The sirens went on in that moment, and I started frantically uh, brainstorming. Of okay, what do I do? do? Um, maybe I need to. You know, I'll go to a bar. I'll go just be around people. I need to go talk to people. Like I, I mean, it was so frantic. It was so desperate because I was terrified of this of experiencing this in myself. <clears throat> And, and then I started imagining, you know, fantasizing what other people are doing, juxtaposing my, my, what I was doing with what they're doing. Like, it's probably just, it's so rich with people hanging out with them. And, and as I listened to the messages, you know, uh, well, I didn't quite hear the messages yet, but I, I, this question that I, I began to ask that kind of sprung up through this and I kind of broke through all this. Um, the question was, do I even want to go do that? Do I want to even be around people? Like, what do I really want to do right now? And I realize I want to be here and I want to write. And that, I kid you not, this peace responded to that. It just, it took over me because I realized that's not what I wanted. But I was encountering this loneliness in myself that was so visceral, was so real, was so present. But I didn't act off of it. And the intensity just left. It went away. And, um, and I returned back to what I wanted to do. But that's what I'm talking about is um, sometimes it's so, we're so convinced to find a remedy to this, right? This, this you know, because when I talk about meaninglessness, I mean, when I talk about meaninglessness, I'm talking about the meaning we've imbued with objects to cure this loneliness, right? And so when the meaninglessness goes away, then we're, this loneliness is exposed and we're, it feels so overpowering and intense. But I've learned well enough, though, that, um, that this, this is a part of it. This is a part of change. This is a part of this monumental shift of evolving into my whole self. So then what's 
What's also interesting that Jesus adds this statement, he ends this this next statement with that that you those that mourn will be comforted. Now, it's in a way we again associating grief with the loss of someone, it's easy to also associate grief with being comforted in a way. Right? I mean it's it's not uncommon that when we're in mourning and I had a friend who lost her mom or, you know, even even losing my ex-girlfriend, like that breakup happening. Like there's this immediacy of people will flood you and care for you and there's this comfort, right? I'll take care of you. I'll, I'll cook because you can't get out of bed. You don't have the energy. Um, you know, the grief has, has really stripped you of energy, of strength, of muscle, um, of ability. And, and so I'll be there for you. I'll take care of you, I'll, you know. And um, and people are really good at that kind of action, right? But sometimes sometimes we're, we're a little directionless and we're lost and we're uncomfortable how to just sit with someone when they're just in the throes of pain, when they're raging, when they're grieving, when they're bargaining, when they're questioning what they should have done and shouldn't have, and all of that is that we don't just normalize that. We don't know how to just be with someone in that. <clears throat> but there's a beautiful comfort that arises out of that when we can connect and walk with someone through their pain, their grief, the agony of loss. But so, so this mourning though, or this comfort that comes from this existential mourning and loss, um, I'm going to argue here. Uh, uh, my, my understanding of this is that this doesn't come from something external. It doesn't come from out there. From from the the external extremities of someone hugging us or holding us, no, it's it's something internal that happens to us. There's a comfort that I'm going to say that in a way is divine, but it's not divine in the sense it's div- divine out there in the world, some object, form, being. No, there's this divine experience that happens inside. That when we feel this deep grief within our soul over these elusive attachments that we've created in our life, these missing connections as well, deep inside of ourselves that we've experienced early on in life, um, there's, this, there's this strange presence that we feel held. There's this kind of support that happens inside. There's this strengthening almost, and not a strengthening in the sense of um, uh, a callousness to the pain, this inoculation, no, this strengthening that I can, I can embrace pain. This ability, this malleability, this boldness in a way, not even tolerate, but to embrace it. This, this ache, this agony. And so there's this comfort that comes over. Um, I've had many of these moments. There was one in particular when I was uh, going through my interning, um, I remember, you know, we we're I was processing some clients or whatnot, and uh, my supervisor, who's my therapist now, um, he uh, he just said something that like rocked my world, that that reframed, uh, shifted my whole paradigm when it came to working with clients. So he said something along the lines like, "Ben, you're you're a parent, you know, you you become a parent." When you're a therapist, you're reparenting away. I'm like, wow, that was the way it was said. Just really rocked my world. But then I could feel myself afterwards start to collapse, start to sink, start to turn inward on myself, which was a natural experience, like a or not natural, but a very common uh, reflex in my life. And I remember just wanting to weep. And I I went home, 
and no one was there. And I just wept. I wept. It felt like a half an hour. And I just cried. And it was this deep, deep pain. It had nothing to do with the present moment. I knew it was so historical. It was deep in the archives of myself. It was a grief of this loneliness, this, these, these wounding experiences, what I didn't have as a kid. And I remember having this almost kind of sacred spiritual experience of uh, image of being held, being cared for. And so what I'm talking about is this grief. It's, um, it's so, it's otherworldly, and this comfort is otherworldly in a way, or I don't want to say otherworldly, this comfort is otherworldly. It's, it's, um, the grief is not, <laughs> but it's, uh, that's earthly. That's, that's an experience within, but there's a, there's a comfort that feels, it's beyond the comfort we experience from other people. It's something that is internalized. It's internal. It's in, it comes from our inner world. And this holding, it's, it's when we interact with our vulnerable self, when we start to make contact with, with our own nakedness, what lies inside, the, when there's this engagement with our pains, our feelings, desires, longings, needs, in this process of grief. And it brings this muscle that can only come from this inner work. We have to face the pain and no longer fear pain and engage in the world in a bolder way that even if the outcome is painful, that we love boldly. We love genuinely. We love offering our whole selves without losing our whole selves. And that can be a, another topic down the road. But we're no longer searching outward in the external realms for comfort, but, it, but inside. And so this cleansing process, I like to call it the Grief is this cleansing process. It's a finding our way back to our nakedness. It's an emotional purging over the detachment of our elusive attachments. It draws us nearer to ourselves, opening us up to our own voice that is calling us to find home. And when I say home, I mean in quotes, the home inside, within. Not the home, the external home that we didn't really have where we had some semblance of and we'd try to recreate or find again. No, it's a home inside. And to care for these pains in ourselves that have haunted us from such an early age, to be able to get angry for ourselves at what's been done and, and grieve over what wasn't given to us, what we didn't have. And so such pains then become messengers. They're communicating the answers to what we've been in search of, what we've been so restless, stir-crazy to go find out there. And they're answers of what we've lacked from the beginning. So this experience of grief, it moves us actually further away. It's an indicator that it moves us further away from the fabricated securities, the futile objects, promising satisfaction, and the false self that, that we've constructed, that's been instrumental to feeling some sort of connection, and I'd say more of an artificial connection, right? And closer to a more authentic, vibrant, grounded, and connected orientation within ourselves. This mourning, then, it's, a, it's an emotional expression of loss, but it holds a pivotal role in the pilgrimage of our true self, parting ways with what we've gripped our identities around, and re-entering into our vulnerable state, and finding who we 
who we actually are, who we really are. And for me, I see it as this loss is actually a freedom. Unshackling ourselves from any external object that we depend on for salvation. And a movement into an unbridled way of engaging in life. This waking up to devour life. To indulge and delight in its beauty. And to invite others to do the same. That, Like I said, this loss is freedom. It feels like it's not. But it really is. It, it actually is. That sometimes when we go through breakups with people that we've been so, we've orbit around, we've sought so much to hold on to, to not lose, and we let go, and we lose that person, and we say goodbye because it's not working for me. There is a pain, and sometimes there's a desire to go back, but there's also a relief of, ah, uh, yeah. The haunting is gone. The torment is gone. The terror of loss. Because now I can go through it. And it moves us to, again, to now uh, open ourselves up to life in a very different way. That I can risk. That I can let my whole self come forward. That I can invite others to do the same even if they'll walk away. Even if they reject. Even if they don't go there. Even if they say, you know, like, where's your joy in your life? Even in, because they can't go there as well. That's okay. There may be a sadness. There may be a disappointment. But there isn't this demand to get them to see you, to get them to connect with you, to get them to be on the same page. And I'm referencing myself personally. So this loss that we, we undergo is freedom because it's movement away from what was false, what was an illusion, what wasn't real, into something that is actually real and genuine. So, on that note, I will talk to you or talk to myself next time. I'm excited about, I'm excited about all these little pieces, all these little statements and exploring them. So, um, so stay tuned for the next one. On that note, take care.